it wasn't until Macy was born and, you know, for any first time father to look in the eyes of his child. And I realized right then, like at some stage, not so long ago, someone looked in my eyes when this happened to them. And I thought, you know, where is she? And I thought for the first time, like as a parent, like, man, there must have been a lot of pain to say goodbye. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. Hey, it's Damon. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Sean. As a kid, when he found out he was adopted, it created some conflict in him and challenged his identity. But some sage wisdom from one of the elders in his family set him straight again so that he could return to loving and appreciating the family he was already a part of. When he got a little older, married his high school sweetheart, and their family began to grow, so did his curiosity about his biological mother's experience giving birth to him and relinquishing him to adoption. You'll hear Sean talk about connecting to his mother, brothers, and how he feels fortunate to have had the opportunity to say thank you for the life he leads. You and I talked quite a while ago about your story, um, yeah. and I'd love to hear some of the, the details about how, it, how you grew up as an adoptee. Tell me about your, your family, your family structure, uh, when you found out you were an adoptee, and what it was like being an adoptee in your community. Sure. Uh, well, you know, uh, it, it's kind of a funny story. Well, at least I'm able to laugh now. But, it, you know, this whole journey for me started in, in the first grade when I uh, I found out what adopted meant. But a year prior to that, my, my parents told me that I was adopted. Um, they just didn't fill in all the blanks. Or they didn't really tell me what it meant, except that I was special and I was chosen and that, you know, I, I was loved and all of that. And, you know, it just didn't register with me that that's anything other than than an incredible thing. And man, I'm, I'm a great special kid. Unfortunately, the guy that filled in the, the gaps for me was a bully on the playground. And when he was uh, beating me up on the playground, I asked him to back off because I was adopted. I was special and chosen and loved. And luckily, he did stop for a moment. And he said, what do you mean you're adopted? Like your parents didn't want you. They gave you up. Wow. And I said, no, no, that's not what it means. And he said, yes, it is. And the other kids kind of chimed in and laughed. And, you know, I wound up in the principal's office and, mm-hmm. and uh, in a small town that I was in, my dad was uh, the bank manager and the principal's like, hey, Sean, fighting's one thing on the playground, but, you know, telling stories, lying like that, saying that you're adopted is another. And he told me what it meant. And even I didn't believe that that's what, what they actually meant by that. And mm-hmm. I wound up running home at lunch. I lived like half a mile from the school and my mom was there and I said, I am confused and crying. And, and uh, she said, I better call your dad to come home from work. And I knew in that moment what they really meant. And uh, it was the start of a rough couple of years, you know, yeah. and just trying to reconcile all of that. But anyhow, you know, the, the structure was uh, I was I was adopted by um, two wonderful parents who had already had two um, children on their own, had believed that they couldn't have any more kids. They wanted to uh, have a son, have another child. And they adopted me when I was uh, three or four months old. And I uh, grew up about five hours, four hours from where I was born in a, in a house full of love. Um, turned out my mother could have other kids because I have a younger sister. So you have you know? three biological siblings then? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're in between yeah. them. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Second, uh, second youngest. Mm-hmm. 
wonderful family gave me everything I, I could have asked for and more, you know, and that that's with all the things you'd expect and, and life experiences and, and guidance and love and everything else. So I consider myself very fortunate. Yeah. So you found out pretty young that you were adopted. I'm curious to know how did that at all affect your relationship to your siblings? You know, did you make the connection that you were now somehow different from them, even at that young age? Well, you know, the, the connection with my sisters, even at that young age, I, I recognized that up to that point and then during that tough time where I was really trying to reconcile what was going on, like those three girls never treated me as anything less than a, a full and equal member of the family. Mm-hmm. There was never any inkling before, during or after, you know, that, yeah. that I wasn't uh, one of them. Um, The disconnect for a while was with my adopted parents, which as a a young kid, uh, immature and trying to deal with something difficult, you know, I resorted to calling them um, by their surnames, you know, Mm -hmm. Mr. and Mrs. And and had a really hard time um, reconciling what I considered a lie. You know, they, they hadn't been truthful with me. And I was also like many adopted kids confused as to how anybody could have given up on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and none of it made sense. Yeah, you had some of that inner confusion, some of that anger that can be prevalent in young boys, no matter what the situation is. You can just be angry with your parents for whatever reason. But when it comes to your own identity, as it applies to being related to them, I could see that being really challenging, especially as you yeah. got older and, and you really are starting to trying to figure out who you are. What were your experiences with your desire to reunite with your biological family members? Because I know you told me previously there was a situation that really made you question whether you mm. wanted to do it. Well, you know, just to to, to go back a step and, and you know, having I've been dealing with that, and I don't know how long that period of, of confusion and feeling lost was, but I'll just share with you one moment that kind of snapped me out of it or, or, you know, felt like I was emotionally punched in the face at the time. But my grandmother, my mother's, sorry, my father's mother, mm-hmm. um, tough, but wonderful. My, uh, uh, one of my daughters, uh, we named her, her middle name is after her. Um, oh, cute. She, uh, we, we showed up for Christmas in Ottawa and she said, uh, I got in the house and now I had two Mrs. Finters, you know, my mom and my grandmother. <laughs> And she uh, she tolerated that for about an hour. And I remember being summoned to her bedroom, which I had uh, looked in before. I'd never been in there before. And I sat up on the edge of her bed where she told me to sit. And she kind of got down at eye level with me and I expected a, a, a hug or, you know, hey, this is going to be okay. And she basically said, you know, listen to me, you little shit. Those people out there love you more than anything in the world. And they're, they, they'll give you everything. And and she said, at some point, you're going to have to accept that or continue to punish them. She said, they've done nothing but love you. And I get it. I get you're hurt and angry. And it doesn't always make sense. But she said, at some point, when you let them back in, everything's going to be okay. And then I thought she'd hug me. (laughs) And she just got up and walked out. (laughs) (laughs) Left it to simmer with you, huh? Think about that, young man. And, you know, in that moment, I just, uh, I decided that she was right. You know, they hadn't done anything right. And there was still reconciliation for me. But I I emerged from that bedroom with a very different view of the world and thought, all right, well, here I am. And and if you're going to land anywhere, you know, it's a pretty good spot. So to to answer your question, you know, um, between that time and um, 
13 years ago when my first of four children was born, I had really rationalized that I was okay. You know, that I, and I was complete. I, I, you know, I'd met a lot of people that were adopted that had this hole in their heart that needed to, you know, I need to find things out. And maybe it was just myself talking, convincing myself that it doesn't matter and I'm okay. I'm in a good place. And, and I, and I, I'm, I was rich, you know, I had all these rich relationships in my life and, and felt full. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until Macy was born and, you know, for any first time father to look in the eyes of his child, like, and it also sound a, a little bit silly, but I just like saw the whole world. Like I just realized, man, we're all connected yeah, and that this is a part of me. And, and I realized right then, like at some stage, not so long ago, someone looked in my eyes when this happened to them. And I thought, you know, where is she? Where is he? Yeah. And I wondered, you know, where they were. And, and I thought for the first time, like as a parent, like, man, there must've been a lot of pain to say goodbye. So that's when the sort of journey started to, mm. to start to figure this out. So you've been catalyzed by the birth of your own child. And I, I know that feeling of looking down, you know, at your child. I've said this before, you know, when I saw my son for the first time, I was home alone with him and I was just like, oh my God, you're the first biological relative I've literally ever known. And it's right. just a moment of, of surreality. So what did you do then? You've now had this, this reconciliation with the sage wisdom of your grandmother. You've, you've gotten to a good place in your mind in terms of growing up and maturing into your identity and, and with your family. But now you've, you've had this moment where you recognize that someone had this same look about you when you were an infant. What, what did you do next? Well, I, I did what I normally do, and I started to write. <laughs> so I, I was living in Sydney, Australia, and I started to write a letter. And the, and the letter um, started out very simply. You know, there were three things that I wanted to communicate to, to her, to my biological mother. Um, I said, uh, firstly, you know, I, I'd, I'd heard from, you know, I'd met over the years a lot of people that both had been adopted and had, and had given up their kids for a better opportunity. And what really rang in my mind at that time was the the moms and dads that had to say goodbye. And when I uh, I started writing the letter, I just I, I said to her that you know every time I see uh, a young pregnant girl, I realize like especially if you're carrying a baby to term to give them up for a better opportunity. And and I just said you know I'm I'm so grateful that. You had the courage to do that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I, I thought it was important for her to know that as a result of that, that it worked. Everything that a, that a mom would have wanted for her, her son came true. Right? The family, <clears throat> the circumstance, the experience. And for that, you know, we were, she was fortunate because you don't know where your child's going, but um, I thought it was important that she know that, you know, kind of won the lottery in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then finally, I, I said, you know, as a dad now, and I'd been a dad for 10 minutes <laughs> or a day or two. <laughs> so now I'm able to speak from the wisdom of a father. I know now that you've wondered, like, what happened to me? You know, it's been at that point, it had been, you know, almost, uh, well, 30 some years, you know, three and a half decades. And I said, this is me. You know, this is, you know, I grew up in Canada and I've traveled. I've been to over 50 countries. I 
businesses all over the world. And, and best of all, you know, I married a girl I fell in love with in high school and, and, you know, we've now started a family and, and I said, this is who I am because of what you did for me. So that was it. And then it was supposed to be a two page letter and it turned into <laughs> 10 pages and photos <laughs> and all of that. And, and I wish I could say, I just wrote this beautiful letter and popped it in the post. And, and that was that, but it sat in my drawer for years and I did iterations of that letter. And I don't know why I just didn't, I didn't know where to send it or I didn't have the courage to, to do it or something holding me back. And luckily my wife, Jenny, one day just said, Hey, you know, why don't, why don't I send this today? You know, we looked up and, and she said, why don't I just send this today? Like on my way out the door, I said, well, we'll talk about it tonight. And she said, no, no, I think I'm going to send it today and we'll just see what happens. We had the last known address, which was a farmhouse her parents lived in in Canada. And uh, it turns out that my um, half brother um, lives in that farmhouse today. And uh, they received the letter and, and, uh, and got it to, uh, to Sandra, my, my biological mother. So, so let me pause you for a quick second. How did you locate this farmhouse? How did you identify where your biological family lived? What I believe happened was that a few years back in Canada, the government, for whatever reason, decided that after a certain date, children that were born past the date, they basically posted records up online. You could go and find them. And, um, you know, what it, all it had was a little bit more information because an adopted kid in Canada got a card when you were adopted. Uh, it said, you know, my my biological name, which was Anthony and last letter was S, uh, my father's height and weight, a few things that they wrote about themselves, like personality and, and that sort of thing. So that's all I had. And then they put up basically last known address and um names they told me her her name so we uh we sent it there as a first stop and as i say we got lucky because that property was still in the family wow so you you've sent the letter off it's reached this farmhouse what happens next well so i wrote this letter and i had just done a, a talk in uh in la to a bunch of leaders in my industry and after you do that and you kind of put your email up if they want to get any more info and you get a lot of sometimes you get a lot of nice feedback so mm -hmm. i'm actually in washington dc at the national national press club and um, on the board for entrepreneurs organization i'm the education chair so i picked up our guest our speaker and he's in the bathroom and i just scroll through my emails and i'm getting all this nice feedback you know about the talk mm -hmm. and there's one that says you know when one door closes another opens and there's a little thumbnail you know someone's picture mm -hmm. and it was the first time i saw her and the minute i saw her i knew who she was amidst hundreds of emails i knew that's exactly who it was oh and it literally you know i've i've nearly fainted twice in my life once when i proposed <laughs> and and then my knees buckled in in the lobby and i you know i was teary and and i read this beautiful email that she sent me and uh, she basically said, I'm glad you reached out. And so she had just gone through some issues in her life and she was going through some big changes. And she said, um, this is great. I'm, I'm taking off for a week. I think she was going on holidays. Or, and she said, I'll be back in, in touch. And that's how it all started. Jeez. You're standing there. You're completely in your professional zone, not even amongst a support group of people. And you get this, this email with your mother's face as a thumbnail. 
Yeah. That is unbelievable. I guess, you know, as a father of four now, and, and as I said, I have a lot of friends that um, were adopted and I'd seen people reconnect. And, you know, you have some beautiful stories of reuniting and all of that. And, and I've had a few friends, close friends, reconnect and it, and it was awful um, for everybody involved. But my instinct was as as a father and a husband, like, you know, my instinct was, hey, I got a really good thing going here. And, and if there's anything I'm protective of, it's that. And uh, that's a pretty personal relationship. I'm your biological mother. So I, I set up with her a structure that I, that I hoped worked for everybody that Hurricane Sandy had just happened and she was actually volunteering. She went down to New Jersey and she was volunteering um, to help the storm victims. And I said, hey, while you're there, you know, do you want to come across to Maryland and, and we can meet? So I kind of had a tiered structure that she was going to come to my office. Um, we'd screen her a little bit, <laughs> as we do with some people. <laughs> and uh, if she got through my team, then uh, I, you know, we I agreed to, <clears throat> you know, meet with her and and we'd spend a couple hours together. And if that worked, we'd go to dinner. At which time, uh, my wife Jenny would join us. Uh, so Jenny was waiting by the phone for me to call and say, hey, this is, uh, you know, she fully assumed that we're going to be having dinner together. Mm -hmm. And then um, we had this amazing night. You know, we had two hours on our own at the office to which there were, you know, some some tears. And if I was to sum it all up to a couple of words um, from her and a couple from me, you know, she said, I'm sorry. And my couple of words would have been thank you. You know, so we were mm -hmm. at that stage where she was trying to reconcile as I was. Um, we went out to dinner and talked and laughed and Jenny joined us and that was great. And then the next morning um, we picked her back up at her hotel. My daughter's made pancake breakfast and <laughs> she came and met her, her four and uh, only grandkids. And uh, I don't mind bragging a little bit, like she's got the four best grandkids in the world. Awesome. You know, they're just amazing little kids and uh and she became a part of our life that morning wow what a gift you're able to give to her kids the family the connection to your people that's and to be able to say thank you face to face man that's that's really unbelievable you said that she opened her email or or the subject line was when one door closes another one opens she um met uh Another guy after I was I was born and they uh, they got married. They were together, married uh, that entire time, right up until about a week or a month before she got my letter. And they, she had just decided to separate at that point. So they had two kids together of two two brothers. So you know, imagine going through that, and then suddenly this uh, chapter of your life that's since passed kind of reopens. So yeah. real uh, time of transition for her. Oh man, that's a Unbelievable. Tell me a little bit about your half siblings. Did you connect to them too? I did. I reached out to, to both of them after uh, Sandra and I reconnected. And uh, they're, they're two wonderful guys. You mm -hmm. know, they're, I, I always joke that I don't do anything at half, so I don't have half brothers. You know, they're, <laughs> we look alike, uh, we think alike, like, we look a lot more like, you know, full brothers than most people that I know. So wow. I reached out to both of them since um, they're two very different, different guys and they're six years apart. Um, 
Will and I, like if you lined up our playlists, our political views are, you know, we're, it'd be like we grew up in the same house. That whole nature versus nurture, because my three sisters and I have virtually nothing in common. Mm -hmm. uh, Will and I, you would swear that we not only grew up in the same house, but we shared a bedroom for 20 years. Wow, that's unreal. Yeah, sense of style, our wives, like it is amazing how much of that stuff is baked in. And I would say that, you know, between those two, I, I'd be somewhere right in the middle because my the, our younger brother, Matt, is equal equally as wonderful. They're very different. So Matt's much more reserved and he uh, is a brilliant craftsman, works with his hands and, and runs his own business. He's entrepreneurial and Matt, I, I haven't seen nearly as much. I've only met him a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And I hope, and we've invited him here, I hope to spend a lot more time with him in the future. But Will has become one of my closest friends. Um, I just talked to him this morning. It was his birthday. That's so cool. It's amazing that you, you find those common bonds of nature versus nurture amongst siblings, regardless of what percentile sibling they are of yours. It's just, it's really surreal when you when you reconnect with somebody and you see similarities. I mean, even with your brother who seems to have the entrepreneurial spirit, not unlike yourself. You told me when we spoke previously that your mother had remembered you throughout the years. What kinds of things did she do to remember you? Well, she, and this is part of uh, part of the story that hasn't quite unfolded yet, but she had written me. She said she wrote me three letters a year. And I believe it was Christmas my birthday in April and Valentine's Day and kept these letters in a box. Part of the separation, she hasn't been able to get that box yet. I wonder, you know, it's something that's kind of cool to know it's out there and uh, it'd be a pretty, uh, pretty big emotional hit to, to read through those. But, you know, I imagine she just wrote to kind of write her, her, her thoughts and kind of thinking about me being out there and hoping that I was in a good place. But mm -hmm. she took took to writing her thoughts down a few times a year and, and stored them in a, in a box. It's kind of hidden away somewhere now. What did you think when she, when she said that? I mean, you, you said one of the things that you do therapeutically, it sounds like is writing. You've now yeah. identified this as a characteristic of your mother's as well. Yeah, it's true. You know, when I, when I'm struggling with something or, um, trying to think through something, um, I run it in my head a lot and then I always write and I usually write, with pen and paper and I've, I'm surrounded right now by notebooks around me with just <laughs> thoughts and you know a lot of it's business but sometimes it's personal and and uh, sometimes when I can get things out of my head and onto paper it really helps me process things and I think in a way that's what she was trying to do mm -hmm. you know and to say luckily she uh, decided to do the incredibly brave thing of of, of having me I found out that uh, uh, in subsequent talks that she actually did something quite unorthodox when she had me that she wanted to keep me for a little bit to say goodbye and i think i think the time frame was a, a few weeks which the hospitals aren't really keen on and she basically said that hey i'm not going to go through with it unless i can say goodbye and she took me to her aunt's house where i stayed for three weeks with her and then she brought me back to the hospital and i entered into a, a foster home that day and uh, i guess in canada they have a bit of a cooling off period so i remained there for for three months with uh, a woman who was a part of my life until a decade ago my foster mother mrs rigrog who was an amazing woman who adopted uh i don't know how many at least 12 15 kids over the years that, that couldn't get a chance elsewhere um, but i was there for three months and amazing that she made that impact on my life and i used to 
I live near Canada's Wonderland, or like Disneyland. She'd raise money to bring all these kids, her kids and foster kids every year, and I'd connect with them. That was her story. That's really unusual that you would, one, know who your foster caregiver was, let alone continue to be connected with her. Do you mind if I ask, how did you manage that? How did you get connected back to her? Well, my parents knew her, and I guess that's where they picked me up. You know, they they were incredibly grateful for what she did and left details. And then uh, when we moved from there to uh, this little town called Schaumburg, about an hour north of Toronto, and it was she mentioned one year she's bringing the kids, and my dad said, "Hey, we'd love to connect, bring Sean along," and and we did it several times until they got older. And so yeah, she she remained a part of my life, and obviously we didn't spend a lot of time together, but. That the all of the emotions in adoption, all the lessons that you learn, you know, I, I put her up there with like some of the heroes in, in my world, although I was only in her care for 90 days. Mm-hmm. I watched these other kids and I, and I looked at how beautiful another person could be and how mm-hmm. selfless to take these kids in. And it's one thing to provide foster care, uh, another to adopt the kids that, that uh, she just felt heartbroken that they couldn't get a chance and didn't want them as custody of the province or whatever it might be. You know, a lot of heroes in this story. That's really fantastic. Wow. When I was thinking about trying to locate my own biological mother, it didn't even occur to me to try to figure out like where I had been in foster care. Just that wasn't my goal. And you're so lucky that 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 woman was uh, somebody whom you were able to remain in contact with and, and presumably say, you know, thank you to and tell the story of having found your, your mother, I, I assume. I mean, that's unbelievable. Well, you know, I'll, I'll share one other thing that still is, is hard for me to, to wrap my head around. So I, I grew up in this small town. I played hockey. I'll put it mildly that I don't have uh, fleet feet. I've got two cinder blocks for feet. So I was never very fast in hockey. You've either got to be, you got to be fast or you got to be mean. So on my wall at home at that time in the 80s, you had a picture, a poster of Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. I had Bob Probert, who was a tough guy. And beside that, I had a, a poster of the first defenseman to ever get paid a million dollars in the NHL. He played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and his, his last name was Gill. And the reason I had him up there is one of my coaches said to me, "You got to, you got to become technically better on the ice. You got to learn angles and you know, model after this guy, Gill. Gill, the thrill they used to call him because he he was slow, but he was almost perfect on the ice." It turns out I mentioned that I was taken uh, out of the hospital by my mother, taken to her aunt's house. And um, the reason that not a lot of people knew that I even existed was because of the rheumatoid arthritis is that my biological mother could disappear for five or six months where she'd be hospitalized and out of school. So it wasn't uncommon that she just wasn't around. And in, uh, in this instance, she was kind of hiding out at her aunt's house. Well, when I, she told me that I was there and I said, wow, you know, I, she said that I was at her house and, you know, with her, her family, her sons. And uh, they're the only people that really knew I was around um, because they saw me. I was staying there. That is, her last name is Gil. And that hockey player on my wall was one of the kids in that house. One of my heroes was, turns out to be my cousin. Are you serious? That's crazy. You imagine, of all the people in the world, I was in his house for three weeks and his aunt provided us shelter. Well, she uh, she said goodbye to me. So it just shows like what a wonderful and weird and crazy world we live in. That's unbelievable, man. That's wow. Yeah. So where are things with you and your family now? They're good. You know, they're it. it, It's still all uh, 
very new. And, I, you know, I'd say we're in a good place. I, it's still kind of unfolding and we're, uh, you know, I'm optimistic. I feel feel very fortunate. Is there anything that you would have done differently along this journey, you think? You know, I, I even think about the, the timing of when I reached out would have been better earlier. Why do you say Probably that? not. You know, her, her husband at the time was uh, uh, insistent that, that this didn't happen. So that probably would have just created conflict that she didn't need. Mm. So the timing actually worked out to be quite right and uh, or fortunate. We're now at a place where we're kind of planning, you know, our, our next memories together and getting together and having fun, be it with my brothers or with her. So, yeah, I think we're in a good place. That's really awesome, man. Well... Thanks very much for taking time to share your story. This is, <laughs> it's really been amazing. You've had some crazy coincidences and courage of your mom to, you know, put you in a safe place. The ability to, you know, stay in touch with your foster mom, the loving home that you came up with. You're really fortunate and, and it's an amazing story. So thank you for sharing, man. Cool. You're welcome. It's great talking to you. Yeah, you too, Sean. Take care. All the best, okay? Okay. Thanks right. a lot. Bye-bye. Yeah. Hey, it's me. Sean's journey was really fascinating to me. He faced some of the rebellion that many adoptees feel inside when they discover additional truths about their identity. But he was able to recover and give and receive lots of love from his parents and sisters. He talked about seeing the world in his eldest daughter's eyes and immediately turning to his favorite medium, writing, to express his emotions about the life he had been given by his biological mother. But it really made me feel good to know that he had a relationship with his foster mother well into his adult years. I'll be honest, I sometimes forget the importance of the foster caregivers in the lives of those they touch. And I'm sure they often wonder for years about the many, many babies and children that pass into and out of their lives. I hope you'll find something in Sean's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? This episode was edited by Sarah Fernandez. If you would like to share your story of locating and connecting to your biological family, visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share.